Welcome to Dharma If You Dare. Today's recording comes from Doug Duncan and Catherine Poissarat's live stream series, Enlighten Up. In this talk, Doug and Catherine discuss the question, what is awakening? Known by many terms in various traditions, spiritual awakening or enlightenment is about waking up to our true nature. Doug and Catherine explore several metaphors to help explain what spiritual awakening is and why the ego tends to ignore it in favor of getting caught up in the world of objects. Helping people experience spiritual awakening is the reason Planet Dharma exists. If you are also passionate about unfolding and awakening deeper and more quickly, we encourage you to enroll in one of our online courses. Each year, Doug and Catherine host multiple online courses live on various topics with the goal of empowering participants to dive deep into their awakening spiritual practice. Learn more about upcoming opportunities to join these online offerings at planetdharma.com online. And now here's today's recording. What is awakening and what would it do for me or why would I bother? I guess the first thing to say is probably the most obvious thing is awake is the opposite of asleep. Yeah, it's so in the language. When we're dreaming or when we're asleep, we don't know we're asleep. We just take it as a reality. And it isn't until we wake up in the morning that we go, oh, we were asleep. So that's probably why they use that word. Our normal ego consciousness is mostly run on habits. And because our normal ego consciousness is normally run on habits, 80% of what we do or more, you can say we're asleep to our brighter nature. So the awakening is then about waking up. Speaking of brighter, I love how it's embedded in the language because another word for awakening is enlightenment, brighter. Uh, Lighting up. Getting shiny, lighting up, having a light in in your aura. And as Sensei mentioned, the opposite of awakening is sleepening. And the opposite of enlightenment would be darkness. So the darkness of ignorance. There is a very famous (laughs) Mahamudra book called Eliminating the Darkness of Ignorance. Mm The darkness you can't see. So as soon as you turn on the light, a thousand years of darkness disappears. So this is why this metaphor is used. So what is awakening? Let's give it some context first. The good news is that we are all awakening together all the time. That's just what we're doing. It's it's kind of a process of evolution. And as an example, I'll say that we now, generally most of us agree that things like slavery and racism and sexism are not good and we do what we can to decrease those things in the world. This is really different. It wasn't that long ago that there wouldn't be widespread agreement on that statement that people thought it was just the natural course of things. So that's an example of how humanity is waking up together. And we could say that our relationship with the planet is another example of that. Well, if you take the environment, for example, We tend to ignore it. We tended to ignore water. We tended to ignore air until it got bad. So once we get dirty water or dirty air, all of a sudden fresh air and fresh water make a lot more sense. So we woke up in a sense to the environment for centuries that we just took it for granted. And in that sense, we were asleep to the environment. So again, an example of us awakening collectively as part of the evolution of humanity. 
So what is true for the environment is also true with like minority rights, gender, women's rights, women's position in the world. Now with the LGBT thing, it's like those people in America and, and, and all over the world, really, but America may be the showcase. Racial awakening in terms of the rights. When I was a kid, TV was all white. You, heard, you know, everybody on TV was white, but now you see much more diversity in terms of employment and so on. So we're waking up to all sorts of things that we were previously unconscious to. But when we use the word awakening in terms of spiritual growth or unfoldment, we're waking up from the previous sleep of the egos not recognizing a bigger picture. And that's a little harder to come to because the ego has to, in sense, move or allow itself to move past its own machinations to see the space or the openness behind its objects. Although we are awakening together naturally as a natural process, no one wants to live their lives asleep or no one wants to be ignorant as a kind of overall state of being, which is a testimony to the human spirit. However, it's a slow process and a painful one. So we can speed it up. We're able to speed it up both as individuals and, and as groups and as communities. And that's one of the things that we are undertaking here at Clear Sky is to awaken more speedily as individuals and as a community. So how do we do that together and well, as individuals? How do maybe, we speed that process up? Maybe a few metaphors that help. It is akin to Olympic training. It's not easy. It's very intense. You've got to have a really burning commitment to it. You've got to be willing to overcome challenges on a regular basis. And also, it's extremely helpful, well, indispensable, I would say, to have someone who has had the experience before you. So just like an Olympic athlete has a coach or a trainer, that's also indispensable for spiritual awakening. And it's exhilarating. I mean, if you playing at the top of your game, whether you're an Olympic athlete or an Olympic cook or an Olympic lawyer or an Olympic doctor or even an Olympic ditch digger, if you're working at the top of your game, it's more blissful, it's more exhilarating, it's more, you feel more free, you feel more open. It's a win-win situation. The problem with a lot of our day-to-day -day rituals, our day-to-day -day routines is, is that we tend to kind of go to sleep in them. As and habits. As habits. And that's why these metaphors like the Olympic athlete is such a good idea. It kind of helps you make the same experience brighter. And the original Olympics was designed where the, the competition was kind of admiration. Competitors admired one another's skills and prowess and use that as inspiration to better their own skills. And so a community of awakening beings is incredibly helpful that way as well. I have a little bit more of a mundane metaphor, which is Play-Doh. You know, that squeezy, muddy stuff that you form into different shapes. As people, we are always making objects. We are making little cows or chickens or whatever, houses or whatever. We're busy, 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 busy people turning that Play-Doh into a different kind of object. And basically, we ignore the Play-Doh. So from this point of view, the ego is all the objects you can make with Play-Doh, including objects that are feelings or sensations or thoughts. So a feeling would be an object. In this case, anger would be an emotional object and, and freedom would be a mental object. But the awakened mind is actually the Play-Doh. 
It's the, the Play-Doh can take any shape. So the awakened mind can take any shape. And we're not very attracted to Play-Doh as just a muddy substance. And of course, the awakening isn't muddy, but there you go. It's a metaphor. Plato's. So anyone who knows anything knows that Plato's truly wonderful. Wonderful. Right. So the awakened mind is the Play-Doh, but what the awakened mind does from there, how we, what we do with that is egos then becomes the objects. And so we become fascinated with the object and we then ignore the Play-Doh because we're attached to the object. One further point in this one is that since Plato is in a sense not formed, all awakened beings are the same being. All same awakened Play-Doh. beings are the same Play-Doh. And we think we're different than each other because this is a female object Play-Doh. And this is a male object Play-Doh and so on and so on and so on. And then we get into these dialogues and projects and everything, which are all amazingly wonderful. But in essence, the awakened mind is the Plato. Kind of like the mycelium in the soil is the same organism or the bamboo. You know, it's a bamboo forest, but it's actually the same organism underneath. Similar aspens and mushrooms Mm. are the same. Because we're object people, ego is an object also. Because we're object people, all our dialogues and obsessions are with the objects. And we miss this awakened state. Especially nowadays when our culture has become so consumeristic oriented. We're really, yeah, not to use too strong a word, but we're really, well, we're really conditioned. I was going to say brainwashed, but I'll, I'll use conditioned. We're very much conditioned to be concerned with objects. And as Sensei's been describing, we mistake the what's really important in life and in the spiritual life what's really important is this sense of spaciousness that's where the awakening comes from coming back to that sense of spaciousness for a minute we don't really like spaciousness because in that spaciousness there is really no me Mm. to be found no doug there it's just a quiet silent blissful spaciousness and the ego doesn't get any reward, objectively speaking, for that. And so it tends to, again, overlook it. Try to fill it. Fill it. As soon as possible. Although when we do allow ourselves to go into that feeling of spaciousness, we love it. Those are those beautiful moments in life that we remember with great joy. Yes. And in fact, everything wonderful that we see in objects isn't inherently in the object, it's inherently in the Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. The Play-Doh is the source. The state of being. The state of being is the source. And then we fight about the objects or make love about the objects and That's we get true. lost in the objects, but we again miss the Play-Doh. Yeah. One more metaphor on this one is perhaps the clear sky and the clouds. When we are out in nature, we'll say, oh, it's a clear day and ignore it. But if there are cloud formations that look like little bunnies or cats or crocodiles or birds, now we get involved. There's an object to put our mind on, an object to put our attention on. And so now we think the clouds are, are, are what the sky is. But of course, the cloud exists in the sky, but the cloud by itself isn't the sky. So even in a little ducky or a bird in a cloud, that ducky or bird is infused with spaciousness even within it, never mind a cloudless sky. That's why you can fly through it right? with a plane. And, and that, of course, is what we named our center, clear, clear sky, sky after, is that, that clear sky that's always there regardless of the clouds that we may be perceiving.
So I think a lot of people think when they awaken or what awakening is, is everything comes to a stop, that it's all dead and nothing happens. and Everything gets magically fixed. And everything gets magically fixed. This is not true. Clouds are still clouds. The ducky and the crocodile are still going to have arguments about who gets to that own that particular part of the sky. Stuff is still Stuff not still fixed. happens. <laughs> but what happens is with the background of understanding you are the sky, then what happens with the clouds becomes more entertainment than problematic. So if the ducky and the crocodile are having a fight, the nature of the clear sky mind goes fascinating. I'm not sure what they're getting so upset about because pretty soon the ducky won't be a ducky, it'll be a rhinoceros and the crocodile won't be a crocodile, it'll be a elephant or something. So there's constant shifting forms. So to give an example, I was setting up a mobile electric fence for our horses and uh, I, had, I had about 30 meters of electrical rope that I was trying to put through the fence um, to set it up. And there was a kind of snarl in the rope. And so I went to undo it. And when I undid that, then another snarl happened. And pretty soon I had 30 meters of rope that was just in a kind of spaghetti noodle, like old spaghetti noodle kind of thing. And uh, in that moment, I just wanted to burst into tears. And in that moment, I found that very humorous. I thought this would be a really great comedy scene, you know, just this person with this kind of mess of rope. So that's that ability to, yeah, we see the clouds, they are still distressing, but we can also perceive the spaciousness. Actually, your story about the uh, electric wire is a very, very famous Sufi story where the Sufi master gave his very troubled student a very entangled ball of wool. Uh, huge, big, huge ball. It was a complete myth. An ancient tradition. And their job was to was very patiently, very slowly, that's the training, untangle that maze. So you're in the Sufi line. Okay. There's another metaphor I'm going to pop in here that we didn't talk about, which I love also, which is it's a bit like the ego is like a man or a woman in a boat on a stormy sea. And the awakening mind is the water not the waves. So from the point of view of the ego, the waves are problematic. They're, they're dangerous or they're fun or whatever. But from the point of view of the water itself, waves make no difference. Whether there's a wave or isn't a wave, it doesn't matter because they are in fact the same thing, water. The winds of karma are the waves. So when we have attachments or clingings or aversions, this creates waves. And the ego then responds. If it's a disturbance we like, we call it fun. And if it isn't, it's dangerous. So there's this water metaphor as well. And when you scuba dive, it can be very uncomfortable to be on the surface when the the waters are tumultuous. But if you go down deeper, there's calm Calm. below. It can be very pleasant. And if that's why divers in choppy seas get down as fast as they can. So our argument is awakening in this lifetime because otherwise you're spending your life in choppy seas. The sooner you can dive deep and get down underneath the surface, the, the better it is. And that's also the why awaken, because it's calm and peaceful, spacious and free and, and painless in a sense. Less suffering. Yeah, in that joy. depth water. Marilyn says, how does one stay connected with the sense of spaciousness during daily busyness? Any magic trick? Yeah, will. It's really a decision, and it's a decision that we keep forgetting. I'm sure there's a metaphor, like I'm going to get exercise, or, well, I'm going to clean up the kitchen table or something, and, 
And then I go there, oh yeah, they're going to clean the kitchen table. And then you go do something else and something else happens. And, and so you forget. And so this decision to be present is basically a decision to remember. You can set your watch, you know, set it for an hour, you know, and beep every hour and you go, oh, spaciousness, right? Eventually you can carry it throughout every moment of your day, even when you're busy, but you need to train yourself to do that. We're back to Catherine's point on training. It's because we just aren't trained to do it, we ignore it. And since the ego doesn't see the value in it, it's hard for it to be motivated to do it. <laughs> but when you find out its rewards, which Catherine has also talked about, then it becomes more and more a part of your practice. So decision and intention and aspiration and decision are key. And then get a plan, get a system, get at it. Yeah, it's a great question, Mary Lynn. This is where community can be really helpful because if you're together in a community of awakening beings, the chances of somebody remembering spaciousness at any given time are better. And then that will draw our attention to it, right? If, if I'm kind of busy, but sensei's in a state of spaciousness, I'm like, oh, right, that's better. And I'll key off of that. We hope. And, and so we know, Mary Lynn, you're doing that. So yay, living yeah. in awakening community. Other things include, you just have to figure out what works for you. I set little things in my alerts in my calendar because I can get real focused on work on my computer and then I'll get in a little alert go off and I'll be like, what's that darn noise? Ah, what's that distraction? But it'll be something like remember spaciousness and then I'm like, oh yeah. And I reorient. That's why we often say the horse before the cart. The horse of awakening, the horse of spaciousness needs to be the primary orientation. And then the rest of our life actually does go much better. Maya has a comment or question. She says, for her awakening, is it first realizing there is something greater than me? I would like to rephrase the language a little. I know what she means and I agree. And I would say that awakening isn't greater than me. Awakening is really the core of the true me. It's not like you're pushing the ego away or that the ego doesn't have a role or a place. It's that the awakening permeates the ego behavior. So it's not like I got to get to somewhere I'm not. It's more a case of I've got to realize actually the place I am. I am the clear sky. The cloud is what happens. So then you don't have to think, I got to get to the clear sky. You're, all, you're already there. But maybe it's semantics. That's you might right. understand that. Yeah, I think to say what Sensei's saying in another way is it can be, and, and I'm not saying that you're doing this, Maya, but in my own experience, it can sometimes feel like, ah, my darn ego, and how do I get rid of this awful thing? And as Sensei's indicating, when we talk about non-duality, no difference between self and other, and being able to be in a state of union with other, we also need to be in a state of union with this being first in order to be able yeah. to do that with the rest of creation. So we're not really, um, we're not trying to overcome ourselves or negative things about our conditioning. We're just trying to open up and accept those in order to be able to transcend them. And let go of them. And let go and, of them. And going back to that water metaphor for, for a minute, you remember that that man or woman on the boat is 80% water. <laughs> it's that 20% ego that gets in the way. Which is made up of two gases, which yeah. is space. Space, <laughs> right. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 
Please rate and review Dharma If You Dare on Apple Podcasts to help more people find and benefit from these teachings. And don't forget to subscribe to get episodes and bonus content sent directly to your device. This year, Planet Dharma's online courses include a variety of topics, such as classical Buddha Dharma and how to establish and strengthen your daily practice, all geared towards life in our modern world. Take a look at what online offerings are up next at planetdharma.com online. See you next time, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.